Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here this week and glad you're ready to study the Bible with us. Uh, that's what we do on this program is answer viewers' questions, try to find answers to your questions. Uh, we think that's a great way to learn the Bible. Most religious TV programs tell you what they think you ought to know or need to know, uh, but we do it backwards. We ask you what you'd like to know. So if you've got something that's been on your mind a long time, uh, wonder what that verse really means, or is that the Bible really teach that? Or maybe something in your life or in the news that you wonder, well, I wonder what God would have to say about that. Uh, we're happy to try to look through the Bible and find you an answer to any kind of question like that. And you can tell us your question uh, by the phone number or the website at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime and get in touch with us and let us know what you'd like us to talk about. And that's what we'll do. Uh, Toby Levering will help me do that. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here. I'm Steve Tandy, and we've got lots of questions stacked up. We'll get to them just as quickly as we can, but uh, we always start with one for our audience. So here's yours for the day. Uh, there was a businesswoman in the New Testament, and her job was to sell purple cloth. Famous woman, and uh, we'd like to know her name. We'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. We'll see if you know about her. All right, Toby, I think this week you really do get to start. You know what? I think I'll take it. How <laughs> okay. about that? we got a question okay. about TV ministers. got to be careful, TV ministers. TV ministers pray for people to be saved. Does this deceive people to think they are saved, but they are not? Well, on this program, we don't get into the judging business, and we're certainly not concerned with what everybody else is doing. Our, our goal is simply to focus on what God wants us to do, and we believe we know that through what the Bible tells us to do. Now, um, I will admit, uh, since <laughs> both Steve and I are usually uh, worshiping at, with the Northside congregation, uh, we're not usually watching other television ministers, uh, and so I hate to speak presumptively. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with praying for people to be saved. I think uh, that's something I do, Steve does. Uh, people in ministry want everyone to know Jesus and to find salvation through him and to uh, mature in Christ. That's a fine thing to do. Now, my assumption, you, you said, is, you know, does this deceive people? Um, my guess is you're referring to something that I will call the sinner's prayer. And they'll say, it's not praying for people to be saved. It's saying, hey, if you're watching right now, pray this prayer with me, and uh, and then you'll be saved. And they kind of go through this. Um, well, the sinner's prayer, uh, as, a, as a prayer, you know, if it gets people to thinking about Jesus and it gets people to thinking more about eternal things, I think it's a, a good starting point. But you should know that there's not any place in the Bible where you will find the sinner's prayer. 
it's just not in there. Uh, it's just uh, an invention of man to kind of say, well, okay, how do I become a Christian? How do I begin following Jesus? Well, let me just accept him, receive him into my heart. But that's not in the Bible. Uh, that's not what Jesus said to do. And so it could be, you use the word deceiving. Uh, I would say, giving the being gracious here, I'll say it's misleading. Uh, it doesn't go the whole way. Nothing wrong with praying for people to be saved and encouraging them to call out to the Lord. But if you want to know biblically what to do to be saved, to find salvation in Jesus, the best thing to do is just look at what Jesus said to do. And so let's look at Mark 16, 16. It should be on the screen. Uh, Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. So, um, can't speak for all other television ministers. Regardless of who it is that's speaking, what we want to do, whether it's us or anyone else, we want to look at what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. Here's exactly what Jesus said to do to receive the free gift of salvation. Nobody's earning anything. Nobody's doing any work. We're just obeying what Jesus said to do. So uh, that's what we want to do. That's what we would encourage all uh, of you watching to do what Jesus said to do, to do with the Bible teaches to do what the New Testament shows very clearly, uh, praying, calling out to God, encouraging others to do that. Not a bad thing necessarily, but uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't go the full measure. It doesn't, isn't fully obedient to what Jesus said to do. And so that's why we want to be reading the Bible, <coughs> studying the Bible, and mostly doing what it says. Hope that helps you. Okay. Yeah, that verse and others that talk about people becoming Christians, it's a, it's a personal act. Mm -hmm. They have to do it. Right. Uh, nobody praying on TV can right. make somebody say, right, right. you know, if we could, that's what we'd do for 30 sure. minutes. Sure, yeah, <laughs> if that was it, yeah. If we could save people <laughs> by praying, we would, but uh, that's not the way it works. People got to make their own personal decision. Sure. All right, here's an interesting one. If you ever want to know, how do you find a real good church? Uh, we've been to a couple. And we know some people who we know by their actions outside of church are fake. Uh, we don't want to be around hypocritical people. Uh, okay, uh, let me say first, if you're looking for a church uh, that everybody in it lives up to uh, the Bible standard, to Jesus' standard, uh, you're not going to find it. You're going to be looking a long time. And if you do, it's going to be a very small church. It'll probably be just you, <laughs> if you think if you think you live like that. Uh, all sinners, all Christians, don't live up to the standard. Uh, we'll look at a verse that says that in a little bit. Uh, but on the other hand, I know what the viewer's saying in a, a sense. If I visited a church and there were a more than one, maybe a lot of people there that I knew from the community, and I was shocked to see them in church because the way they live in real life is anti-Christian. Uh, but I see them in church acting like a Christian. Uh, I would probably be a little suspicious of All right, what's going on here. Uh, if there's a church where that's rampant and everybody knows it and that's just accepted, uh, yeah, that's a bad deal. Something's wrong there. But 
between that extreme example and saying, well, I know somebody that doesn't live up to the standard, and none of us live up to the standard. So I'd say you can't be too judgmental about this or you'll never find a group of people to worship with. Uh, maybe if you go in with the attitude that I'm going to find a group of people where I can serve, where I can do something, and I can grow as a Christian, uh, that's a whole lot different attitude than going in and surveying everybody and uh, saying, well, I don't think they are quite live up to the standard that they profess, and I don't think they do, and I don't want to be around them. Uh, enter with a different kind of attitude, and you can probably find a real good church. Uh, so that's why I say don't be too judgmental is what I'm trying to say. Keep this verse in mind, uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Uh, Paul said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, we aren't saved by living a perfect life. We're saved by grace. Uh, so if we all fall into that category, maybe we'll be a little more tolerant of others. And we don't know their story. We don't know all their problems. Uh, let's not be too judgmental on it. But uh, I understand what the viewer is saying in a, a rampant uh, uh, widespread group of people who claim to be Christians but live like uh, anti-Christians uh, I would stay away from that kind of thing but uh, most churches have a lot of folks that just trying to do their best and don't do it perfectly so keep searching <laughs> okay uh, question about guardian angels what does the Bible say about guardian angels when we look at the story, uh, the, the the words of Scripture, we see that angels are servants created by God for the purpose of serving Him. In fact, the word in the original language means simply a servant. And they are not uh, deity. They are lower than deity. And yet they are more powerful. They are higher up, you might say, than, than uh, human beings. So... Um, we naturally are curious about other created beings who are similar and yet different than us. And you asked specifically about guardian angels. There are some scriptures that seem to indicate that one of the functions that angels have in uh, their performing their duties of service is protection. Several scriptures indicate this. Psalm 91.11, which was actually used as a, a quote, quoted kind of, uh, in a negative way by Satan when he was tempting Jesus. Psalm 91.11, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Uh, Jesus said, I tell you that in heaven uh, their angels always see the face of my Father in heaven. And he's speaking about little children there. Um, so Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, which is a scripture we'll put on the screen for you. Uh, the he writer of Hebrews says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Well, how do they serve? What do they do? Uh, are they, do, do, does every individual believer, follower of Jesus have their own personal 
angel, well, Scripture doesn't go that far. Scripture does not clearly answer how those, how those things work. So the answer really is biblically, we don't know. <laughs> uh, it's possible, um, but we are not, there's no verse that specifically says, yes, from the moment you become a believer, from the moment you're baptized into Christ, uh, you are assigned an individual, personal guardian angel. Uh, I guess that's possible. We know that angels are real, but the scripture never really goes that far. We got to be careful. This is pretty much happens a lot with the subject of angels. We start thinking ahead of scripture, and we we got to just be careful to stick with what the scriptures say. Uh, ministers are there to serve God and His purposes, and so if God deems you know, this person needs protection, this person needs help in some way, in some spiritual way, yeah, certainly he, it would be with Him. Yes, go and and watch Toby and protect him today. He's going to need that. You're going to be with him, and and that is possible. But remember, the angel's purpose is to serve the Lord and his purposes. That's what Scripture tells us. So hope that helps you. It's an interesting <coughs> subject to study. All righty. Let me take just a moment and talk about a good way to study the Bible. Oh, we like answering questions and hope you learn a little about the Bible each week. But we'd also advocate home Bible study and personal Bible study and spending some time in the Bible. We know a lot of our viewers are very good at that and are solid Bible students and have their own method of reading and studying. But we know we got a lot of viewers that just never got started in that. So we've got some ways to help. We've got some tools that we'll send you uh, absolutely free of charge. Here's a set of lessons that we start folks off with because it's just a good basic overview of the Bible. Uh, after that, we've got some more advanced courses. You can study the life of Jesus. You can study the book of Acts. You can uh, study how we got the Bible. There's all sorts of interesting lessons that we'll be able to send you if you'd like to get started on that. Uh, we've recently added some online courses in case you'd like to study electronically. You can sit down with your phone, uh, tablet, whatever device you've got, and uh, just work through some Bible lessons. A great way to study the Bible uh, without involving the mail and a lot of paper. So oneway.worldbibleschool.org. Uh, log on to that and tell them you'd like to study online, and we'll get you started with that. So phone number, website at the bottom of the screen or the way to get the other lessons. You want to study the Bible? We'd like to help you. Absolutely free of charge. Won't put you on a mailing list. Won't ever ask you for money. Uh, this is just a way to study the Bible, and we're happy to provide it. So let us know what you'd like to do. All right. A uh, viewer has not a question, but a statement. It says Romans chapter 10, verse 13, and Acts 2.21 say we are saved simply by calling on the name of the Lord. Well, our viewer is exactly right. That's what those verses say. Uh, can't argue with him at all. Uh, Romans 10.13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Acts 2.21 says the exact same thing. Uh, to quote from the book of Joel, uh, says the exact same thing. Okay, so we agree. Uh, now, our viewer takes that, and I presume that they're saying, since they put that word simply in there, that that's all we have to do. Uh, that's how we get saved, is call on the name of the Lord. Okay, I'll even agree with that. But then I've got a question. Uh, what's it mean to call on the name of the Lord? What's that involve? 
Well, now we get into the crux of the thing. Uh, what is it to call on the name of the Lord? Uh, for instance, if I buy a new car and ask somebody, okay, I think I've got to get a license plate for this, uh, how do I do that? And the person that I'm talking to says, well, uh, you've you got to have the authority of the county clerk to get that. you got to go to the county clerk. Okay. I don't presume that means just say, okay, county clerk, license this for me and be done. No, I have to go find the county clerk. I have to call on their authority. I have to ask them, what would you like me to do? How much is it going to cost? All of that. And the county clerk will use their authority to help get me licensed. Okay, there's more to it than just saying the name. And I think that's the... The, the problem here, some people read uh, Romans 10.13 and Acts 2.21 and say, okay, i just got to call on the Lord and that will take care of things. Uh, now, if you keep reading after Acts 2.21, uh, Peter told people, uh, you got to call on the name of the Lord. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he kept preaching for a while. And at the end of his sermon... And verse 37, the people had got it. They'd figured out, okay, Jesus is Lord, and he's the only one that can save me. I've got to call on his name. And so they asked Peter the question, what do we do? Acts 2.37, what do we do? Acts 2.38, Peter said, well, you have to repent and be baptized. And that will forgive your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Uh, and he said, that's for you and your children, and as many as are far off. So that's the answer. Uh, that day, that's the answer a year from then. That's the answer 2,000 years from then. Uh, how do you call on the name of the Lord? What do, what do we do? Well, you repent and you'll be baptized. Okay. Here's another verse that will help you see that. Uh, the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul... Uh, met Jesus on the road and was told that a preacher would come tell him what to do. And in Acts 22:16, that preacher came to him and said, Now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Okay, there's how you call on the name of the Lord. You do what he says. Uh, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to repent. I'm going to do whatever you say. And I'm calling on your authority, your name, to save me. And Jesus said that's where it happens. So, uh, yes, both of those verses say calling on the name of the Lord is what you've got to do. But if you stop and ask, well, what's calling on the name of the Lord? You find out it is accessing the authority of God by doing whatever he says. And then he will save you. So I hope that... Uh, helps a little bit there understanding that uh, very true couple of verses but just got to know what they are talking about Absolutely. all right toby yeah, a question about communion uh taking the lord's supper first corinthians eleven twenty-seven through 32 talks about taking the lord's supper in an unworthy manner does this mean if we sin we cannot take communion uh know that it's not what that means if that were the case no one could partake of communion ever. Uh, it's just not 
possible that that's what that means. A lot of times when we want to understand what something means, it's very, very important to look at context and to understand in this particular situation, the book of 1 Corinthians was not, a, a, we call it a book, it was actually a letter and there were actually several letters, this wasn't really the first one, but um, Paul's communicating to the church at Corinth and uh, doing that via letter, they would ask questions, he would answer them, he would teach them, admonish them, praise them, uh, he would uh, point out things that they needed to work on as a body and so forth. And this was one area where they really needed to work. Now, uh, when we talk about partaking of the Lord's Supper and communion, I need you to understand that that looked very different in our modern context than it did back with when uh, the early church was meeting. Uh, many times they would meet in homes. Many times there was a huge feast associated with the fellowship. And as part of that, they would partake of the Lord's Supper, as Jesus instructed them to do. And as part of that, these verses will not be on the screen. I'm going to read part of that instruction, starting in chapter 11, verse 27, as you pointed this out. Therefore, whoever eats the cup of the Lord, I'm sorry, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. For the one who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. Now, this was the problem, as you'll go on to read, that uh, the church at Corinth had quite an issue when they just made this meal into a meal. It was it was no different than a, a meal they would have at any other day at any other time. And Paul's saying, whoa, 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 this is a different kind of meal. So, so when you partake of the body and the blood of the Lord, when you partake of the cup, when you partake of the bread, examine yourself. Now, this does not mean that you have to be perfect. I mean, again, there is no one who is perfect. If you were perfect and sinless, you wouldn't need to partake. You wouldn't need the body and the blood of Jesus uh, to uh, in in the salvation sense. The problem was that the church at Corinth, the folks there, they were not treating this time, this, uh, this, uh, what Jesus had established here. They weren't treating with any degree of reverence, no, no, no thoughtfulness, no purpose. Uh, they weren't thinking of anyone else. They were just worried about getting in front of the line and getting the best part of the food and all of that. They had no, uh, spiritual connection with what was really happening and what God had, or what Jesus had uh, done by instituting that supper. So, let's look at verses 17 through 22. These verses are on the screen. So when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have a homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? Certainly not in this matter. Paul was saying, hey, 
This is no ordinary meal. It's done for an extraordinary purpose. And we need to be mindful of that and examine ourselves, give it thought, give it reverence, and examine our body, not uh, for the purpose of saying we must be sinless, but to just acknowledge what Jesus has done for us and uh, the sins which he has forgiven. And if we need to repent, we need to do that, but this is a different kind of meal. So I hope that helps us be more thoughtful, uh, and that's what Paul's asking them to do. All right, viewers asking about Bible translations here. It says, since we aren't supposed to change a word in God's Word, shouldn't we use only the King James Bible? Well, toward the end of Revelation, it does caution against changing uh, the Word. Actually, it's cautioning against changing anything in Revelation. Uh, and some people take that and say, well, you're not supposed to change anything in there. And they're very familiar with the King James Bible. They uh, have been taught, been raised, using only the King James Bible. Uh, it's been around since 1611, and for many years it was the most popular, the most prevalent uh, Bible that churches used and Christians used. Uh, it's a beautiful translation. It's poetic. It's uh, familiar to lots of people and older generations especially. Uh, it's a revered version, and it's a good version. But uh, to claim that it's the uh, uh, original and shouldn't be changed, and we shouldn't use any other translation, is getting off the track a little bit. The, the old joke is, well, if it was good enough for Paul and Silas, it's good enough for me. Uh, we People tend to think that, well, it's what we've always used, so it's what every Christian always used. Uh, no, just since 1611 have we had the King James Bible. So there were 1,600 years of Christians who didn't even have the King James translation. Uh, there were lots of Christians who didn't have any translation. Uh, they just had to listen to what the, the, the preacher told them. Uh, let's take a little bigger view of this and look at the history of the English Bible. And we'll see that the original was in Hebrew, the Old Testament, Greek, and the New Testament. So any translation changes, in a sense, the original word. It changes it into English. Uh, when the Bible says don't change the Bible, what it means is don't change the meaning of it. And a good translation gets the meaning pretty close, gets the meaning right. So... Uh, King James been around since 1611, but it is not the only original uh, version that we should use. It's a good version. It's got some problems. The uh, main problem is it's archaic. It's uh, language from 1600, and we don't talk that way anymore, so it's a little hard to understand. Uh, but a good modern translation will help you on this program. We use the English Standard Version a lot, uh, the old NIV, the New American Standard all those get the meaning right, close enough. So, hope that helps. Uh, let me invite you to visit the Church of Christ. We mention a few each week. Uh, today, let me mention the church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Our partners up there, a great group of folks on Southeastern Avenue, drop in and visit them. Uh, Clint Glinter is the pulpit minister there. Does a great job of preaching. I know you'd enjoy meeting him and hearing him 
share the Word of God with you. Uh, Zach Opheim as the associate there, and if you've got questions about the Church of Christ or about the Sioux Falls Church of Christ or uh, maybe something you've heard on this program, give them a call and uh, talk to Zach. He'll answer all your questions and get you introduced to the South of uh, the Sioux Falls Church of Christ. So great partners up there. We uh, invite you to visit whatever market you're in. There's probably a Church of Christ near you. Uh, drop in, visit them sometime, and tell them thank you for providing this program. Let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today before we quit. And that was about a businesswoman who sold purple cloth. And her name was Lydia. Great story in the book of Acts. Uh, converted to Christ and became a, a, a strong member of the church, one of the first members of the Church of Christ. Uh, met on a river bank, actually. So it's a good story. Read that in the book of Acts about Lydia. Glad you've been with us today. And uh, we're going to be back next week trying to answer some more of your questions. So we hope you come back then. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.